0: We're going to begin our service <coughs> singing to God's praise in Psalm 122, and this is from the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 122. We sing from. We're going to sing the whole psalm. I joyed when to the house of God go up. They said to me, Jerusalem within thy gates our feet shall standing be. Jerusalem, as a city is compactly built together. Unto that place the tribes go up, the tribes of God. Go thither. The whole psalm, I joyed, went to the house of God. <coughs> gracious God, as we bow in your presence tonight, we pray that you will help us. We are always dependent upon Thee. Sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't recognize it in the way that we should. But Lord, you often bring us into situations and into circumstances that bring us back to put our focus upon you. And we pray that as we gather together tonight, that you will Keep away all distracting thoughts because it's so easy when we come to God's house to get caught up in all the thoughts of the week, all the different things that we've done, particularly on a Saturday night at the end end of the week. So often sometimes we think back over the week and we reflect upon this and that and it's so easy when we come to God's house to begin to think like that or even plan for the future. But we pray that in our hour of worship that you will help us to focus upon you so that we may realize that we are in the presence of the living and true God and that we are under his word and we are in the place of his blessing. Help us always to remember that it's a wonderful privilege to be where Jesus has promised to be and he has promised that for two or three gather together in his name to be in the midst. And so we ask, O oh Lord, that we might be conscious of your presence. We pray that we might not do anything, even in our thought, that will militate against the ministry of your Spirit. But we have to come confessing our sin, and we do so particularly in light of the Lord's Supper tomorrow. And we confess, Lord, that even from the last communion, we look back, and sometimes at the time of our communion, we seek to maybe rededicate ourselves to you. We may seek to walk better. We may seek to want to be better Christians. And sometimes after a communion, that's what we we aim for. And then when we come to the next communion, we look back. And so often we see so much failure, so much personal failure. And so we ask, Lord, that you'll forgive us. Forgive us our sin. Forgive us, Lord, our sin directly against yourself. Forgive us our sin against our neighbor, against those that we're in school with, those we work with, those in our own home, those within the community, those within church. Lord, forgive us. And we give thanks, Lord, that we can come confessing our sin, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, help us then as we wait upon you. We pray to bless this congregation. We give thanks for the light that it is in this community. We pray for every one of your people and pray that you will strengthen them in the faith. We pray that they will go on from day to day and that they will be good ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks, Lord, that when we come to faith we enlist in your service and that we are shining lights for you, although we often feel that our own light is the dimmest of all. But, Lord, there is a light. When you bring that light to bear in our lives, then that light continues. Help us not to put our light under uh, under a bushel, but that it might be on a lampstand, so that people will see and so that people will see the good works and glorify uh, the Father in heaven. And we ask, Lord, that you will make this congregation a greater light week by week. That you will bless the witness in this community. We pray for Fahi and Gret, and we pray for their family. Ask, Lord, that you will bless them, bless them in every aspect of their lives, in their togetherness and in their service here. We pray to bless all office bearers and all who do so much week in, week out, those who maybe work a bit behind the scenes. But it doesn't matter what we do for the Lord. It's noted by you. Even a cup of water given in the Lord's name is noted And so we pray that we will have the faith to see and uh, the strength to do. And that we might seek to walk worthy of the high calling to which you have been called. Lord, we pray that you will encourage your people. We live in a day where we are very easily discouraged. There are forces at work, great forces, uh, that are seeking to, to cause as much havoc to the cause of Christ. We see, Lord, uh, that good is now called evil, and evil is called good. And do we see, O Lord, that there is scant regard nationally paid to your word. In fact, people don't even know what the word of God is or what it stands for. And so, Lord, we pray you'll have mercy upon us as a nation. Lord, we pray for all those who stand up for you. We gain particularly remember... Uh, Kate Forbes of this congregation and Ali, we commit to your care at this particular time where she has been, uh, for standing for the truth, has received received so much that it's been hard and difficult. And so we pray for her at this time and ask, Lord, that you will indeed encourage her and strengthen her, strengthen her and realize that the battle is, is not hers but the Lord's because uh, when we do anything in your name we can expect a backlash and so Lord we pray for us as a nation we pray Lord that you'll bless bless all our leaders all in authority over us we pray for those in Westminster and Holyrood and uh, particularly in the local councils we ask Lord to grant wisdom and direction and that you will enable people to do what is right even although they might they themselves might not look to the God of heaven and earth, we pray that you will indeed grant wisdom and guidance and grace. Help us to remember our own as a Christian church that all Christians will remember their own responsibilities before you, because we're told that in the Word it says of my people who are called by my name. That if they humble themselves, if they will indeed confess their sin, that you are the God who will hear and that you will answer and you will heal the land. Help us then to remember that ultimately, it's not always with the politicians, but it's with your people. And so there's a huge pressure and a huge responsibility upon us. And so, Lord, may we take these responsibilities to heart. Lord, we pray to bless... Those who are unwell just now, we commit them to you. We pray for those who might be awaiting surgery or have undergone surgery. We pray, Lord, that your healing hand and gracious hand will be upon them. Pray, Lord, for those who might be undergoing treatment or have had treatment. Lord, we pray that you'll bless them. We pray for those who mourn, and we know that death is that great enemy that disrupts and Causes so much pain in in people's lives. Where there are broken hearts, we pray for healing. We pray, Lord, that you will bind up every broken heart. Lord, we pray that you will bless us as we wait upon you. Bless us in light of the communion tomorrow. And we ask, Lord, that you'll draw close to us. We need you. We pray that it might indeed be a time of communion. And that we will know the personal touch of the Lord in our own soul. Pray if there's anybody here tonight who has not yet professed their, their love of the Lord Jesus, that even tonight they may see the, their duty and their responsibility and take their place uh, at the table. O oh Lord, grant us your grace, and we pray. Forgive us our every sin. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. We're going to sing again from Psalm 27. And this is in Sing Psalm, Psalm number 27. <clears throat> Psalm 27 And we're going to sing verses 7 to 14 Lord, hear me when I call to you Be merciful and speak Come, seek my face You told my heart Your face, Lord, I will seek uh, I, Oh, do not hide your face from me Oh, do not turn aside Your servant, In your righteous wrath, for you have been my guide. And so on to the end of the Psalm. Psalm 27:7 to the end. Lord, hear me when I call to you. Turn now to read God's word we do so in the gospel of John chapter 20 John chapter 20 <coughs> uh-huh. Now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. And see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. And may God bless to us this reading of his own holy word. We're going to sing again in Psalm number 17 from Sing Psalms, Psalm 17 verses 3 to 8. Psalm 17 verses 3 to 8. Though you examine me and probe my heart and mind, and though you test me in the night, yet nothing you will find. I said I will not sin in anything I say. From those who practice violence I have kept far away. From every evil path, by your word I am preserved. My feet have held to all your ways. From them I have not sweared. And so on. Verses 3 to 8 of Psalm 17. And sing psalms. Though you examine me. Go but... again for a little to the chapter we read in John's Gospel John chapter 20 and if we look again at verse 19 verses 19 and 20 on the evening of that day the first day of the week the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews Jesus came and uh, stood among them and said to them peace be with you When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Um, Particularly these words, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now, you and I know that life is always changing. Circumstances change very quickly and our emotions change and... Life is often very much a roller coaster. It's ups and downs, and just often the way we get up and how the day starts uh, can be no reflection on how the day will end. And we we know how quickly it goes from the heights to the depths, and then sometimes back again. And this chapter that we read here, that we read here, is a chapter that is full of sudden changes. And we find great emotional change. We find the circumstances uh, in it are quite dramatic. There's a, there are, there are these, all these sudden movements and sudden changes. And we find that uh, one, uh, right at the very centre, of course, is Jesus. And we find in verse 11, Jesus revealing himself, first of all, to Mary Magdalene. And uh, it's wonderful how Jesus reveals himself to Mary before any of his immediate disciples. Uh, Of the eleven, you would think to yourself, well, Judas was no longer. But you'd think that it would be maybe to those who had been everywhere with him. Maybe one of the inner three, to Peter or James or John. But it is to Mary that he reveals himself first. And in a sense you could say that he's honouring. The tremendous devotion and love and zeal of this woman. This woman who had been delivered by Jesus. And it's often true those who have been delivered the most often love the most. Or those who had been released and delivered in the way that Mary was. And Mary's life from the time that she was set free was one of just absolute commitment and zeal towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find that Jesus really is honouring Mary's tremendous love and devotion by revealing himself to her before any, even of the immediate disciples. And we find indeed that group of women who were watching at the cross. We find that they're, they're, a, <coughs> they're a bit away, but the, although John uh, remained by the cross... We find that these women, in fact, we're told that some of these women that they had followed from Galilee, they'd made their way all the way, and they were still with Jesus. they never stopped following Jesus, and they were there right to the very end. There was one woman, above all, who we know that understood things about Jesus that even his immediate disciples didn't, and that was another Mary, Mary of Bethany. Because remember when we find her that she anointed Jesus uh, before uh, he went to the cross. That he said to them that it was in light of his burial that that she had done that. And she understood what Peter and John had not understood. Because it tells us (coughs) there that when they reached the tomb in verse 8 then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed <coughs> for as yet <coughs> excuse me they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead they hadn't grasped just what was take, what was taking place but it would appear that mary of bethany was way ahead of them and uh, sometimes people wonder how did Mary grasp? Well, you find every time you come across Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. And that's a place to learn. And you and I will learn more than we could ever imagine if we spend our, times, our time humbly at the feet of Jesus, seeking to learn uh, uh, more and more about him. And we see here that Jesus speaks but a word to Mary, and straight away she recognizes, she understands it. Here's this woman and she is so down. She's at rock bottom. And the change, the joy that would have filled her heart with this word. When Jesus speaks but that word and he says Mary. Instantly, instant recognition. And Jesus then gives her a message. To go and tell the disciples. And when she tells that I have seen the Lord... You know, I could almost imagine the breathlessness of of Mary. She would have run back and you you could almost imagine her bursting in and say, Do you know what? I have seen the Lord. And it's one of these transforming moments, one of these moments where darkness gives way to light and where sadness gives way to joy, which is very much part of, of Christian experience. And so we find, (coughs) excuse me, after Mary gives the the message to the disciples, we find that the the disciples, in verse 19, on the evening of that day, that same day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So here's the disciples, they're meeting together in this room, but they've locked the doors, and they are in fear of the Jews, because they know that what had happened to Jesus... Because they were known as being followers of Jesus. They were afraid that there was the same chance of that happening to them too. You see, the disciples' lives had turned upside down. On Thursday, they had been enjoying the most wonderful fellowship with Jesus. They had heard Jesus teach the most wonderful things. And it it had been a wonderful time. They were there in the upper room. And it was just everything, the picture for them was rosy. And then their whole world was turned upside down because there was a series of events that Jesus knew were to was to be unfolding in front of him, but they hadn't grasped. And we find that Jesus, when they leave the upper room, he makes his way to the garden. Very interestingly, it tells us that he went to the garden to the spot where that Judas knew well. In other words, Jesus went to the most, the spot where it, where Judas was most likely to lead the band of soldiers who had come to arrest, arrest Jesus. And again, it highlights and points to us the willingness of Jesus in giving Himself as a sacrifice for sin. Jesus wasn't taken all of a sudden. And uh, it was like he wasn't expecting this. Jesus went to the place where he knew this arrest was going to take place. And that's one of the things we're so thankful for, that it's not a reluctant saviour we have. And so we find that Jesus now appears to the disciples. And again, the disciples are going to react just like Mary did. Because here they are that as a group... And yes, Mary has told them, I have seen the Lord. But they're still frightened, dispirited people because the, their, world has turned, their, their world has turned upside down. And there they are, they're, they're gathered together behind the, the locked doors. And all of a sudden, Christ appears before them. And his first words are, peace, peace be unto you. And that is the message that Jesus brings. Peace be unto you. Jesus is termed the Prince of Peace. When Jesus was being born into this world, you remember what the the angels sang, glory to God in the highest and in earth, peace and goodwill toward men. And that's at the heart of the gospel message is peace. And you know, when you become a Christian, when you think back, if you're here tonight, you're Christians, you think back. What is one of the great things that came into your life when you come to faith? It was peace, wasn't it? I remember somebody saying to me when I was converted, what do you have now that you didn't have before? And I wasn't able to explain an awful lot, but the one thing, well I said, I'll tell you one thing. One thing I have that I didn't have before, I have peace. Never had real peace before. I thought I had. But I didn't have real peace. And the great thing is that you are at peace with God. And you know when you're at peace with the creator of this universe. When you're at peace with a person. Who one day you have to stand before and give an account. It's the most. It's it's the greatest freedom that you can ever have. And sometimes people don't realize that they don't have peace until until they actually get peace. And in this troubled world where there is, if there's one thing there's a lack of, probably there are two things there's a great lack of today. One is a sense of hope and the other is a sense of peace. And these are two key elements that run right through the Christian faith. Two things that are rooted and found in Jesus Christ. Hope. And peace. And tonight, as a Christian, you have hope and you have peace. Your hope, of course, is very different to the world's hope. The world's hope is just, well I hope so, I'm hope that's the way it's going. I've no guarantee I hope to do this, I hope to do that, if all the events come together, that's what will happen. But we've no control over it. But the hope of the Christian is assured, it's guaranteed, it's rooted and founded in Christ. It is definite. And side by with with hope, of course, is this great sense of peace it 's at the very center of the christian faith peace and that 's I suppose one of the things that we always pray for is peace uh, it 's one of the great blessings we 're told. blessed are the peacemakers that 's what we 're told in the bible, and so we we must seek to to uh, Promote this peace and seek this peace one for another. Peace be unto you. And you know I love that this is Christ's greeting to the disciples. Because we're told then were the disciples glad. You know it's funny often in the Bible. Of how sort of matter of fact. Of how undramatic the Bible is if you were if you looked in on the room, if you could sense the great feeling of absolute elation that was in the hearts of the disciples, but just it says, then were they glad well they were euphoric they were they were their hearts were bursting with joy it was what just a supreme a wonderful moment, and that's what, that's the first thing was this sense of they were glad but you know it doesn't tell us this but I'm also sure that following right on their first reaction would be one of wonder and joy and amazement and thankfulness and this sense of whoa then I think there would be a sense of oh a sense of maybe guilt because remember it tells us they all forsook him and fled. When Jesus needed them most. They had, he had always been there for him. And in his time of real need. They liked it they were gone. And I'm sure there would be this and above all Peter. Because the last thing that Peter had seen of Jesus. Was Jesus turning to Luke. At him, a look that said and spoke more than a thousand words, as Peter had denied Jesus with oaths and with curses. That's the last thing that had Peter had done in the presence of Christ. "I don't know the man. It means nothing to me. And he had done that with oaths and with curses. That's the last he had seen of Jesus, and here's Jesus back again. I wonder who Peter felt at that moment. Yes, there was the euphoric joy. But then there would be the, what's he going to say? And I'm sure they all had bated breath. And they would say, he's totally right to say, you deserted me. You ran away. You, let, you left me. But there's not a word of that from our Savior. And that's, that's part of the beauty of that peace that Jesus brings. This is part of the great sense of forgiveness that he has. Because he's promoting peace. If Jesus had started at uh, finding fault with him, it would have broken that sense of peace. And you know, as Christians, we ought to be about promoting peace. Because this world is not a place of peace. And it makes a difference. And wherever we are, whether it's in school or at home or in church or whether it's in our community or the workplace, wherever, college, it doesn't matter where we are, we ought to seek to promote peace. And sometimes it comes at a cost, sometimes it's very difficult, but that's part of our Christian duty and responsibility is seeking uh, to promote peace. Because we live in a world where There is a void of peace. And we ought not to be surprised because the God of this world, Satan, hates peace. He hates it in the Christian, where he's termed in scripture, the disturber of our peace. When you have peace in your heart, Satan will be there to try and rob you of it. But Jesus is the one who gives us this peace. So then we see that the the disciples, it tells us, That then were the disciples, the the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So we have to ask ourselves, why? Well, it's quite obvious. Why were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord? Well, there's many, many things we could say. But two or three things just in a word. The first we would say is, they thought that they had lost him. But here he is. He's back with them. And you know, that is the greatest dread that the Christian has, is a sense of losing Christ. Now, you and I know from Scripture that once a person has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that faith is forever. That union is forever. Our faith may, we can have great faith, Jesus said that to, the, to some of you, great is your faith. Oh, you of little faith, so we can have great faith, we can have little faith, but where there is true saving faith, it will always be there. We'll never lose it, however low it'll go. Now, the thing is, sometimes we fear, what if I lose Christ? What if I didn't really come to faith? And I would say it's only a Christian that can fear that. A person who isn't a Christian doesn't think like that. But the Christian... Has a genuine fear in their heart saying, what if, what if I come short? What if it wasn't really faith? What if I lose this sense of belonging to God, belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, for the disciples, where they were was a fearful sense of loss because they had these three wonderful years with Jesus. They had seen his miracles, they'd heard his teaching, they'd enjoyed his friendship, his love. It had been a little taste of heaven on earth for them. They thought it was going to go on and was going to go on, and then all of a sudden, all their hopes were dashed. And when the lifeless body of Jesus Christ was taken from the cross, what a crushing blow that was for them. But here it is here's Jesus. He's back. And so you can understand why they were glad. And you know it's the same sometimes for us when we lose. When we lose that sense of his presence and love. Sometimes when we feel we're isolated and on our own. And maybe it's in church or maybe it's just reading the word. And all of a sudden it's like something ignites in your heart. And you see Jesus again. And all of a sudden you're aware, Oh, he's mine. He's with me. And there's this sense, of, this sense of peace, this sense of fellowship, this sense of belonging. And you say, oh, I'm back. I'm back. Thank you, Lord. And it's wonderful when that happens. And like the disciples, you could also say, then uh, are, are, are we glad? Or then are you glad when that happens? And again the disciples were glad because In this appearance of Christ before them There was the fulfillment of the promises You see Jesus had given many promises But you know the cross Seemed to give a lie to the promise It seemed at that very moment That all the promises of Christ Had died on the cross That all these promises had been nailed to the cross With Jesus and you know sometimes in our Christian life the promise of God seems to almost mock us. Maybe there are times in your life and you're, maybe that's where you are just now and you've got God's word you're holding on to it and the providence that you're going through seems to be going in the very opposite direction of where his word has led you, his word has guided you where his word is showing you the light of his word and you were given the faith to lay hold upon the word. You know, sometimes that happens. Yes, all God's word is there for us. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will give us the faith to really cling to the word. And we say, oh, Lord, thank you. It might be a word of direction. It might be a word about somebody. It might be a There's just a host of things. It's very personal to you. And then rather than that promise being fulfilled, everything seems to go in the opposite direction. As it did for Joseph. Joseph had this sense of promise from God that he was going to be elevated above his brother. But the very opposite happened. And that's why it tells us in Psalm 105, Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. That means until the time that God's word came into fulfillment of filling the, fulfilling the promise. Prior to that, that very promise tried Joseph in the dungeon. There were For years it appeared that God's promise was never, ever, ever going to take place. Same for David. David was told he was to be king. And yet there were days that David was barely escaping with his life as Saul hunted him. There was a price in his head. He was enemy number one in the nation. And yet there came the day so David was anointed king. And you see that's how it is. God will fulfill his promise in his time, not our time. And so this was a great moment for the disciples. Because they saw that the promises of, that Jesus had given were still there. They hadn't died on the cross. The promise was still there. And again the disciples were glad, and This is the last thing we'll say. Because at this particular moment, there was here the great display of the triumph of the kingdom of God. For a while it seemed... That the power of darkness had won. Jesus had said that this is the hour and the power of darkness. There was a fearful sense of darkness because the powers of hell were unleashed. Satan was working overtime. And all that took place, working in the heart of Judas, working in the heart of the chief priests, working in the hearts of all the people to cry, crucify him, crucify him. Satan was at work all the time. It seemed like no stone had not been turned to make sure that Jesus was to be condemned to death. And it seemed such a dark period. You could feel the darkness. Yes, there was darkness on the cross. But afterwards the disciples and all the followers of Jesus a darkness would have enveloped them and they'd be saying this is a terrible time. Ah it wasn't. That darkness gave way and into that darkness came the light of the resurrection and Jesus rose from the dead. He rose through the, all these fearful enemies death the grave Things we recoil from. But Jesus has defeated them. And that's why we can stand by the grave and say, it's only temporary. People talk about the finality of the grave. It's not. The graves only a temporary. Temporary residence. And that's through what Jesus has done. And the, no wonder the disciples are glad. Because here is this great testimony that good has overcome evil as it always will there are times evil will be on the ascendancy and we can look around today and we see forces of darkness and evil at work and we can see so much that, is, that we know that's completely opposed to God's word but you know at the end of the day although darkness may triumph it's only for a while At the end of the day, light and good will ultimately triumph. Jesus will always, at the end, be the victor. And so the disciples were glad. And in light of all that Jesus has done, before he went away, he set out a way of remembering. He set out a way of remembering... And he said until he come again. You know the disciples as it tells us there was so much they didn't understand. And what we're going to do tomorrow is part of what Jesus set out for the church to remember him. And it's set out as it were against the backdrop of eternity. Because Jesus is coming back again. And when we take the cup we do so. And when we take the bread we do so remembering what he has done but also until he come again I hope that all of us will be at the table and I don't—I know some of you, I don't know all of you and if there's anybody here tonight who up until now has never actually confessed publicly that Jesus Christ is saviour then you should do so remember that salvation is believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth the confession is quite an important thing. I shouldn't say quite; it's a very important thing. And uh, I would urge that anybody who has not ever yet confessed publicly that Jesus is, you know, this. You can, if you're a Christian, and you haven't made it public in the sense of coming to the table. Uh, the thing is, everybody knows. A Christian can never really hide, because as it says of a tree by their fruit you shall know them and it is evident in a person's life whether they love the Lord Jesus Christ or not and you know sometimes people when they've come to a session they're surprised that the elders already know that they're Christians you know sometimes they, they think oh I, I," people say oh I can't come the they, they, they won't expect me. The thing is, the elders are already waiting. Because it is evident in a person's life, you cannot hide. Although we look for a public declaration, in a sense that is a public de- declaration made by the life. So, in light of the sacrament tomorrow, let us exercise ourselves as to where we stand. Lord, we pray to bless us. We give thanks for reflecting over your word for a little while. And we pray that you will bless us and guide us in all we are about. That in every step that we take and in every move that we make, Lord, we pray that it will be done in you and with you. Lord, watch over us and cleanse us, we pray, from our every sin. And guide us in light of the supper tomorrow. Take away our sin in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to conclude singing from Psalm 63 in the Scottish Psalter. Psalm 63 in the Scottish Psalter. And we're going to sing verses 1 to 5. Lord thee my God, I'll seek. My soul doth thirst for thee. My flesh longs in a dry parched land wherein no waters be. That I thy power may behold and brightness of thy face. As I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place. Four stanzas, one to five, Lord, thee my God, I lairly seek.